This is Offspin. The problem with investors is they want to be told before they start the journey that what you're doing is right and what you're doing is the best plan. That's wrong. I mean, what kind of justification is that? I mean, you you take a risk in life, right? When you get married, it's a risk. How do you know your marriage is going to work? Who told you your marriage is going to work? You have, you have to work on it. Who, uh, how, who knows uh, how good a parent are you going to be? You have to work on it. Who told you that if you join this uh, this business school, you're going to get a great job? No one knows that. So why do you need guarantees and investing? They need to be told, am I doing the right thing? Am I am I uh, uh, investing in the best strategy that there is? No. These are, these are all. I mean, A to B, there are a thousand ways to go. You pick one. And if you want change paths, it's fine. But do you have the conviction to do it without asking other people? Because other people will never get your your perspective and your circumstances. This is that Offspin original you've all been waiting for. It's time for Let's Get Rich with Patu. In the coming weeks of Let's Get Rich with Pattu, we have some super exciting stuff. I couldn't help myself. I'm starting this episode with a little teaser of sorts, Pattu, if you'll allow me. Pattu's been kind enough in the following episodes, not on today's episode, to take us through a calculator of his, which is on the SEBI portal, which will make you aware of your life situation, if I could say it in that way. Financially speaking, of course, it'll be a gold mine for some of you viewers, as it will be for me. I can't wait for that episode where we start entering data and finding about where we sit and the basics of calculating and projecting and seeing where we are so that we can plan for our retirement. So that's an amazing episode coming up. Not only that, following that, Pattu is starting to get some really cool RIAs, which are registered investment advisors onto our show, and we'll hear their stories. What is the process they use to help people plan for their retirement and their future? Amazing content coming up. But of course, before we reveal what this episode is all about, Pattu, hi, how are you doing? Hi, I'm doing fine. I'm looking forward to this one. Yes. So the last two episodes have been about rebalancing and of course, uh, de-risking Pattu. But there were a few loose ends that we wanted to tie up. Personally, in my mind, some feedback from listeners, etc., etc. For example... Remember how we ended the episode asking you to help me convince my own head that, you know, rebalancing or de-risking, let's f- stick to rebalancing for now, is worth it. There is proof of it. And I came up with this thought process, you know, that's my psychology on myself, Pattu. Let me know if I'm right. But I said, if you don't rebalance, that amount of money is not real. And when you're in a real situation, you need real money, which is in fixed income. So I'm going to try and convince my mind with that kind of psychology saying you need real money, which is only safe in a fixed income, which is why I'm going to start convincing myself that that's real money. That's not real. So I don't know if that holds any water, that argument. Absolutely. I think it's a very sound uh, argument. Right. But not only that, I kept pushing for I kept pushing Pattu for proof about what rebalancing is. And for the first time on the show. And if you're listening to us on an audio platform, don't worry, we've thought of you. We're probably going to be sharing a link, and we are sharing a link in the show notes below, which we urge you to click. 
this is a gold mine of information. Uh, these are charts, and for the first time on Let's Get Rich with Pattu, we are giving you some visual data that you would that we encourage you to look at. And um, Pattu, if you can please talk us through it and tell us what this is all about as an overview. So this uh, graph is from a, one of my earlier articles on what are the benefits of rebalancing. And what I've done is taken uh, Nifty 500 to represent equity. And I've taken uh, a long-term gilt index, the IBEX gilt index to represent uh, fixed income. So we're going to have uh, a kind of 60% uh, uh, equity and 40% uh, fixed income kind of portfolio. And we're going to invest systematically in that for 15 years. And uh, there are two situations. One is we start investing and we don't do any kind of rebalancing, which are the red lines in the, uh, sorry, which are the black lines in the chart. And the other one is we do an annual rebalancing. Annual rebalancing is you re reset the asset allocation every year, which is the uh, simple way to do it. Of course, we have talked about uh, doing a threshold rebalancing where you rebalance only after a 5% deviation is one. But the results on the basic uh, idea does not change much. So what you see in these four charts are um, rolling return runs. That is, uh, I've taken a 15-year window and that's from, let's say, April 1997 to when I did the calculation. I think I must have done this one or two years ago. So maybe 21 or 22. Uh, so I've looked at every possible 15-year period in this window by taking monthly data of the two indices. So in each of those red lines and black lines, you'd see approximately 300 to 400 data points. So wow. everyone is a 15-year run. So let's start from the uh, top left. On uh, the top left, you have the return, the annualized return of the XIRR of the two portfolios. The XIRR without rebalancing is the black line and with rebalancing is the red line. And you can see that they're more or less the same. Of course, uh, visually, we get distracted by the red peaks. The red peaks uh, immediately uh, kind of ring a bell. So, oh, will I get more return uh, uh, with rebalancing? The answer is it depends. It all depends on the kind of sequence of returns that you will face when you start investing. That is the whole essence of the past performance disclaimer that mutual funds give you. So we can't uh, say that uh, rebalancing or not rebalancing will, gi will give you a better return. That is not the, and anyway, that is not the real purpose of rebalancing. Now, to understand why we need to rebalance, we'll go over to the top right graph and there you see the maximum drawdown. So the maximum drawdown is defined as the maximum fall from an all-time high. So at any given point, if you the uh, you can see that the market will keep moving up, it will reach one all-time high, maybe fall down and then go to another all-time high and so on. So we are going to look at the maximum fall from a peak and that's the maximum drawdown. So if you look at these runs, the maximum drawdown when you rebalance the portfolio is significantly lower than without rebalancing. If you uh, look at the portfolio without rebalancing, the drawdown has been uh, minus 40, 43, 42% and so on. And it has been much higher. That is the, it's a, a much higher negative number. So which means that the portfolio has dropped down more. Whereas if you rebalance, you are able to contain the drop in the value of the portfolio. And that is one way to measure risk. How much does your portfolio fall down at any given point of time? And 
rebalancing helps you uh, mitigate that uh, risk to a significant extent. And uh, if you now go over to the bottom left graph, you have the standard deviations. So the standard deviation is a measure of what is the average deviation of the portfolio value from the average value itself. So let's say I have a set of numbers and I find the average and I want to know how much individual numbers deviate from this average. And that is uh, called the standard deviation. And if you look, uh, the lower the standard deviation, the lower is the fluctuations in the value of the mutual fund NAV or in this case, the value of our portfolio. And you can see that with rebalancing, the portfolio fluctuations are significantly lower. Right? Mm. Not only is the fall from a maximum uh, uh, lower, the portfolio fluctuations on any given day is also significantly uh, lower with rebalancing. And on the bottom right screen, you have the uh, maximum number of continuous months the portfolio was underwater. So you, we say that the portfolio is underwater when the portfolio is below an all-time high. So if you reach an all-time high and after that it's not been, uh, it's always been trading below that and it has never crossed that all-time high, then you say the portfolio is underwater. So how long continuously was the portfolio underwater? And if you notice that uh, with rebalancing, uh, this period when it was underwater is a little bit lower than without rebalancing, which means uh, that the time risk is also uh, handled well. So the value risk, which is the maximum fall and the fluctuations, which is the volatility, as well as the time risk of, you know, being underwater, all these three are mitigated uh, significantly uh, by regularly rebalancing a portfolio. Sometimes you will get higher returns. Sometimes you may not get a higher return, but that doesn't matter. But uh, you must always remember return is in hindsight. Hmm. The risk is in the journey. All these returns that we calculate, that's always done in hindsight after the journey is uh, done. But the risk is in the journey. And that is always uh, important to handle and control so that we are emotionally in a good place. I want to be, uh, I want to go to sleep without worrying about my portfolio. And rebalancing ensures that. So that's the benefit. But to can I please, if if we were a crowd, you'd stand up and give you a standing ovation right now. <laughs> this is a gold mine of information, right? And I'm going to try and summarize what you just said. Firstly, the num the amount of effort. So you're saying you took a 15-year window from all the data, and then you kept moving it by a month so that you had so many 300 to 400 data points. So clearly, this is irrefutable evidence, right? Uh, in all four charts, the red line is doing better. You can't argue with this data and therefore, you know, one line proves that uh, the standard deviation is much less and therefore you're hugging that line as you grow towards your corpus. One shows that the number of times you spend, uh, a number of months on amount of time you spend underwater is much less if you rebalance. I mean, you can't argue with this data. So thank you so much for that. I no longer need any psychology to convince myself. This is it. This is a gold mine. Um, and we cannot appreciate enough. So thank you, Pattu. I have one small question. How come both lines towards the end are close to each other? What does that show? Yeah, that is that is essentially the sequence of returns at play here. So you are, uh, everything is cyclic in the market. So uh, 
sometimes for example let's take sip investing versus lump sum investing yes. this is a very standard argument that people have many people will say sip is always better and so on that's not really true there are certain market sequences or market periods where the lump sum would do better and there are certain periods where the sip would do better so similarly uh, the benefits of rebalancing or the uh, the quantum of the benefit will also fluctuate depending right. on the market cycles so our market history is quite limited although we say i've taken data from 1997 that that is just a small period like 20 30 years is nothing uh, right. you have to what's not on even it? one person's journey of towards retirement yeah correct so we will have to go through more cycles to understand how these benefits will fluctuate but it is very clear that you always get a small benefit whether the benefit is uh, you know it's non zero and that that is enough for me you and you can't predict how the future will be see when you start investing you can get uh, the maximum benefit that you see here or the minimum benefit that you see here or anywhere in between but you get it and yeah. that should be and and those words you said right you can sleep with a peaceful sleep knowing that you don't have to constantly track it and worry about these massive falls if you're only in equity so thank you so much i mean this part for me has been one of the highlights in all these episodes but to really really appreciate it thank you um moving on we wanted to do a bit of an experiment it's kind of philosophical it's definitely fictional because these are not real people but we thought we do this part too it is the amar akbar anthony experiment right where amar is a 25 year old akbar is a 35 year old and anthony is a 45 to 50 year old and we are doing this experiment to try and see whether this represents our audience the people listening to us and the different stages of the journey they're in so what i'm going to do part 2 if you don't mind is i'm going to read out um each person's story two or three lines or life situation they're in and if you can tell us what the problem is in what i just read out and what they should do to correct it patu right so i'm going to start with amar a 25 year old who has been investing for say one or two years just begun his process he's very equity heavy he's invested in eight mutual funds six of which are hybrid funds he doesn't want to bother about rebalancing later he says the fund managers will do it for him after all it's a hybrid fund a few stocks too in his portfolio he loves stock investing right this entire joy or this adventure of stock investing that it brings to him mostly in mid caps and he's in search of his multi baggers how would you address amar patu um well he's got the age to live and learn that is the first point so the idea is basic idea is that you say that look i want to invest in a hybrid fund which will hold anywhere between 65% to 80% of equity at any given point in time and you claim look that's my portfolio i don't need fixed income separately and i'm not holding 100% equity the fund manager anyway is going to balance the rebalance the portfolio every month every quarter to depending on uh, his mandate and market conditions etc so why should i bother uh, the problem with that is if you actually sit down and calculate the risk associated with a aggressive hybrid fund and compare it with a diversified equity fund like a large cap fund mid cap fund whatever uh, sectorally diversified fund there's not much difference there's a very mm. small gap right if the uh, diversified fund is risk is there the hybrid fund risk is there the aggressive hybrid fund risk is there there's not much so it's essentially a equity fund that you're investing in 
it's okay to do it at 25 but as you uh, you know age you will you notice that the fluctuations in the portfolio value which we just saw in these graphs they will be significant that still be significant so i would recommend that's fine for now but i would recommend adding um, equity uh, sorry uh, fixed income excuse me adding some fixed income to uh, you know bolster the portfolios to kind of uh, reduce the volatility down so sure. diversification is basically the only free lunch in finance or the in the world if you would uh, just by adding a little bit of fixed income to the portfolio you can significantly reduce the fluctuations mm. and uh, so it's it's okay for now but i think uh, going ahead some fixed income would help and how about if somebody uh, asks that is there a hybrid fund with 50 50 sl split in equity and fixed income see the problem with that is it would be taxed as per slab uh, currently if i'm not uh, wrong there, there are some changes in the tax i keep forgetting oh no it would be uh 45% so i think that's uh, if i'm not wrong 45% is the uh, cut off for uh, equity below that if a fund holds 45 below 45% it will be taxed as per slab between 45% to 65% it will be taxed at 20% with indexation on checking after this recording, but to clarify that gains from balanced funds holding 35% or less equity are taxed as per slab, not 45% or less. So uh, the mutual fund industry is still trying to get into, uh, you know, get get grips with this because this is, these changes were made in February. We still don't have any viable options for, uh, you know, things in the middle, but you have to pay more tax. So most people don't like that. So they would uh, uh, like that equity where you, you know, have that one lakh tax uh, free capital gains, long term capital gains and so on. It's possible. It, I think if the funds do come, it's fine. But I don't think there are viable options as of now at the time of this recording. Fair enough. And um, something that has just popped into my mind, which was part of our question, I thought this is a nice time to ask it is, suppose we are convinced about rebalancing and I hope a large majority of our listeners are, right? And we want to keep rebalancing or even if it's once a year, twice a year, I want to take a large chunk of money, say twice a year from my equity into my fixed income. What are my different options? Uh, do I just keep buying fixed deposits? Uh, do I buy debt mutual funds? What do you recommend? So for a long-term portfolio, I think fixed deposits are very difficult to manage because you have to break them, open them again and so on. It's painful. And of course, tax-wise, they're also kind of poor because whether you are uh, redeeming them or not, you have to pay tax on a fixed deposit. Yes. Whereas in a debt mutual fund, you don't need to pay tax un until and unless you redeem. And you can redeem in part. If you have 1 lakh units of a debt mutual fund, you can redeem even one unit. You can't partially open a uh, breakup FD. It's all or nothing. Right. Of course, there are flexi deposit funds, but they are more saving products. They are not long-term investment products. I would say a debt mutual fund is still the way to go for a long-term investment. There are many different options uh, when it comes to a debt mutual fund. But the problem with the debt market, and I think we should probably make an episode of this, because sure. um, investing in debt funds are much harder than investing in equity funds. You would think, okay, it's just a bond. Right. I mean, I pay you money, you pay me interest. It's a bond. That's it. But the problem when you start trading the bond midway, lots of things happen. 
the for the mutual fund right not for us yeah, and for us both of both the 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 science of trading bonds is very complex lot of things can happen and we should probably cover this at some point no absolutely i mean number of questions popping in my mind right now for example we know how a mu- equity mutual fund works they buy their stocks of these same companies but how do these debt mutual funds work what do they invest in what are their cycles of investment etc etc so yes but you hit upon a very nice idea for our next episodes so yeah so i think uh, it all depends on how comfortable you are with debt products many people they are comfortable with debt funds when the fd rates are low so a couple of years ago interest rates were very low fd rates were like almost touching almost 6% or below 6% then they said oh debt fund debt fund debt fund now if you notice the cycle has changed now debt uh, fds are giving you comfortably 7 7 plus right yeah 7 plus percent of course before tax but now nobody wants to touch a debt fund and of course we've had the franklin crisis Uh, absolutely uh during the covid time and that kind of shut almost shut down a huge market so but i'm a strong believer in debt mutual funds there are many options like guild funds corporate bond funds conservative hybrid funds and so on but for a uh, newbie who is you know getting started i would say get used to the lower end of the debt segment that is the lower tenure bond tenure where the bond uh, duration is very short the liquid fund the money market fund and so on where the nav is more or less going to keep moving up uh, and there will be no huge spikes up or down so uh, a liquid fund or a money market fund is, is a very for you can use it for short term goals for example for your children's education uh, if that's a 10 year 15 year goal tops right so you can gradually shift money into a money market fund or a liquid fund or there's something called an arbitrage fund that's an even more complex idea but so these are the kind of options you can uh, push from equity to fixed income which are slightly more tax uh, beneficial than efficient than the fixed income products would you like to name any of these funds but to because i remember i'm drawn back to one of our earlier episodes where you said when you're selecting the nifty funds any of these big nifty funds are fine as long as their aums cross 1000 crore and most of them are how does one select or maybe that's part of the next episode we're doing on debt no, mutual funds no uh, uh, see liquid funds and money market funds are quite fine you just pick up an established amc sbi icici hdfc and just choose their money market fund or liquid fund you're done hmm. i mean that's good enough uh, you know just to quickly do it but if you want to explore corporate bond uh, guild or conservative hybrid you need to slightly do some effort not only in i'm not talking about the uh, analysis of returns or risk you should first appreciate the kind of risks and one thing i want to uh, make it clear is the best way place to understand every possible risk in the universe is the scheme information document of the mutual fund of course you will get real scared when you read it but that's where you understand all these things can happen i'm not saying they will happen they can happen and that's how you learn i mean you slowly understand risk uh, people talk about risk appetite and that's probably another episode i have a large risk appetite i have a small risk appetite that's uh, that's a, that's a problem because risk appetite is equal to risk awareness hmm. how much do you wow. appreciate risk right and uh, so maybe we should talk about it separately but yeah you should understand risks that's what okay, great line risk appetite is equal to risk awareness 
I'll remember that one. All right, quickly back to our experiment of Amar Akbar Anthony. Akbar is 35 years old, Pattu, who has been investing for 10 to 12 years. Has a good 20 years to retirement, right? But needs to start getting serious about it now. While he does want to have a 50-50 allocation in debt and fixed, he only wants to shift some of his fixed income to equity. He plans to achieve 50% equity allocation only with new money earned and saved. His reason being that his fixed income corpus amount is so high that in case he witnesses long periods of zero income, the interest earned from fixed income is good enough for him to at least survive. Yeah, this is a tough one. And many, many, many people are in this, bo in this boat. I know a lot of people. See, it's so difficult to get out of the lure of fixed income. I mean, they give you 7%. I know it's nice money and you see it compounding every year. Example, EPF, although they don't pay uh, interest on time, it's still, uh, you know, such a uh, wonderful thing to have. Uh, it hits your uh, bank account and you feel happy about it as if you won a lottery. Uh, the point is that you should look at your, it's fine to do it. I mean, after all, at the end of the day, we can't do anything which is against our personality. Uh, we can't ask a person to shift whatever you can from that fixed income and put it into equity because the day after you shift, something will happen in the market and yeah. then uh, you will feel a huge sense of regret. So that won't work. I, I think you have to uh, adjust the way we uh, invest gradually. So yes, I think uh, starting to invest uh, in the right fixed income, uh, sorry, uh, the right uh, asset allocation going forward is fine. It will work. However, you should also do a proper retirement planning calculation and find out how much corpus do you need? How much do you need to invest? And I would recommend gradually increasing the equity allocation uh, in the coming months. So let's say you want 50-50 and you say, I want to, I have 1000 rupees extra and I'm going to put this 500, 500 uh, in two asset classes. But I would say after you get used to the equity market fluctuations after a few months and so on, uh, you gradually start increasing the amount you invest in equity so that you can, you know, compensate for the uh, asset allocation part a little bit. Sure. The two things coming to my mind, part two is one, you had said that these people with very high fixed income, you know, allocation will take so long to reach that 50-50. I mean, how much will you invest in equity if it is a few months? It'll probably take years to reach that amount, right? It, it will be a lifetime. And then there's the risk of not taking risk. I remember that line of yours as well. So perhaps those are the two things we should leave it's, Akbar it, with. You will have to you have to find a balance. It's hard, but that's why you need to plan and you need to understand. Am I uh, risking more by not taking risks? Yeah. Like you said. And as you said, do a proper retirement calculation. Then you'll understand how much you need to either catch up or you know be skewed towards equity. All right, final example of Anthony, a 45 to 50 year old who is now in the crunch phase with little time to retirement. Anthony didn't know about investing until his 30s, which, you know, is a great example of many of our viewers and listeners who started late, has 30, 70 or 40, 60 debt to equity, but is it is just coincidental. Anthony hasn't rebalanced ever and has no de-risking strategy. His plan is to pump as much as he has into equity via mutual funds and stocks till he retires and then pull it all out, dump it into FDs and buy a pension plan which starts immediately. His costs are rising steeply too with his two kids. So investing money is also a strain. So I think um, we should understand that 
pension is only going to be one component of our retirement portfolio it i'm not saying pension is not important pension is important but it's just going to be one component of it we uh, we also need a significant corpus that will help us mitigate inflation in retirement or sudden expenses in retirement so uh, i don't know how much this uh, the corpus here is because people say um, i have 90% equity I, i i know investors who say i have 90% equity or i've got 45% returns but the amount is actually very little so that those things don't matter right uh, what matters is the actual value how what can you do with that corpus today and um, you have to be a little careful going all out in equity in the intervening period from 45 to let's say 55 or 60 because we don't know how things are going to be uh, like i said uh, uh, a hung election a couple of bad years and uh, you, your returns are going to be very poor so you have to be a little careful about it and we or the other point is that the uh, pulling all out from uh, equity going from 100% or let's say 70% equity to 0% equity after retirement is also an extreme thing because we need 20 30% of equity typically of course that depends on the corpus assuming the corpus is reasonably large so that also is necessary so i think we should not do anything extreme again a proper retirement calculation and maybe if that warrants increasing more uh, in equity yes but you must understand that returns are not guaranteed because the problem is that no matter how many disclaimers we have many people believe that all they have to do is stay invested over the long term and they'll get returns there is absolutely no proof of that i can give you numbers which tells you i fought with a very intelligent guy unfortunately on this very point he was you know gung ho about all this he say economy grows returns will grow and etc etc there is absolutely no proof i think this is going to become a social media meme but if you take that little clip and make a promo video out of it but yeah i think a lot of people need to hear that i have been i don't want to say brought up but i have been hearing incessantly just stay invested just stay in, invested in equity that's the one sure shot for retirement and this is so sobering and and real and especially those graphs at the start so let's end this episode part 2 on a few quick questions thank you for amar akbar and anthony's responses um there are a few real questions that have come in from our listeners and if you can speed through them this one's from dheeraj sharma 1036 my retirement is 25 years away from now and i'm starting with 70 30 equity debt portfolio is it fine if i have this 70 30 allocation for first 15 years out of my 25 years gold duration and then from 16th year onwards i start decreasing the equity by 5% a year and of course correspondingly increasing debt which is kind of perhaps come from the episode we had on de-risking see in principle that's fine now this person uh, wanted an answer quickly so he had written to me also ah. the same so i uh, or maybe on twitter i so i asked him for the first 15 years if your returns are zero or negative what will you do hmm. and he said i'll panic <laughs> so, uh, so the point is that uh, we must understand that okay you have a plan but you must review the portfolio once a year and we must not hesitate hesitate to change the plan if things are not going well 
fine, we chuck it. If you invest for six, seven years, maybe equity is not doing well, reduce your equity allocation. It's fine. What will happen is, of course, the market will zoom after you move up. But that's fine. You, it's done, it's done. You can't do anything about it. You have to protect your uh, portfolio. And when I say protect your portfolio, what I mean is, I had talked about the projected growth of the portfolio and where your portfolio is today, the fluctuations. And we, have, we, we need to protect the fluctuations in those uh, in the in the actual portfolio and keep it as close as possible to the target portfolio. And it doesn't matter what asset allocation you use as long as it's close. So if things don't go well, you must have the confidence and the conviction to change the plan. As long as you have that, you can do it. That's. I think the basic answer is even when you do a retirement calculator and you come up with a plan, you can't have a 15-year plan and have no changes during that 15 years. I think that is the main answer, right? Review it every single year. Redo the calculation once a year. Next question from Vishwanath Kuruva. Do we need to invest in separate funds for each goal? Pattu, this is a question very close to my heart. Equity and debt. So that it will be easy for redemption on goal maturity. Any specific rebalance strategies to follow in this case? I think the first part of the question is the most important. For example, I have my kid one education, kid two education, my retirement corpus, etc., etc. Are these separate portfolios? I, how does one deal with these separate financial goals? Pattu? So... Uh- you can, I think that would probably be an episode in itself, but uh, <laughs> the, briefly, uh, there are two ways to do it. One is you take all your long-term goals and put it in one basket. And the, the short-term goals, you can manage separately. The asset allocation is not of too great importance in a short-term goal. Most of it is going to be fixed income anyway. Uh, so that's the unified approach. Or you can have the separate individual portfolio approach and I use the individual portfolio approach. My retirement is uh, 65, which is another what 15, 16, 17 years, uh, 15 years, 16 years away. But my son's uh, goal is about five, six years away. It was a long-term goal when I started, but now it's not, not that big a long-term goal. So I have separate uh, portfolios for them. It's easier visually for me to say, XYZ funds are this goal, ABC funds are for this goal. I redeem this, I don't touch that and so on. Hmm. Some people, what they do is they open a different portfolio in the same fund. Yes. That's one way to do it. Hmm. But the, the, uh, that works great when it's an index fund. Because the chances of you shifting from an index fund are low. Whereas if you chase five-star rated funds, and if you open three portfolios there, after uh, two years, it'll be a three-star fund and you say, oh my God, I want to shift from there. It'll be a mess. Uh, whereas in my case also, I have active funds, but they're different active funds. So overall, it's some kind of diversification among the funds by having two different goals. That's one way to do it. The point is, I hate this idea that this is better than that. Because this the problem with investors is they want to be told before they start the journey, that what you're doing is right and what you're doing is the best plan. Hmm. That's wrong. I mean, what kind of justification is that? I mean, you you take a risk in life, right? When you get married, it's a risk. How do you know your marriage is going to work? Who told you your marriage is going to work? You have have to work on it. Who who knows uh, how good a parent are you going to be? You have to work on it. Who told you that if you join this uh, this business school, you're going to get a great job? No one knows that. 
So why do you need guarantees and in investing? They need to be told, am I doing the right thing? Am I, am I uh, uh, investing in the best strategy that there is? No, these are, these are all. I mean, A to B, there are thousand ways to go. You pick one and if you want change paths, it's fine. But do you have the conviction to do it without asking other people? Because other people will never get your, your perspective and your circumstances. So anything goes uh, as long as you can handle what you're doing. If you know what you're doing and if you can handle uh, the two portfolios, it's fine. So Amazing. There's one guarantee though that if you ask a question on Let's Get Richard Part 2, <laughs> it will get answered with the utmost brutal truth. <laughs> we love that about you, Part 2. Even if it means I don't know. <laughs> uh, here's a tough one. Uh, perhaps to end this episode, we had others, but I love listening to Patu, sir. I'm a poor government employee, somehow managed to make ends meet. Kindly make a video on how to be financially free for government teachers with low salaries. I know my mother will really, really feel this one. So how do you respond to a question like that to end this episode? It's a real hard one. Um, there's a saying in Tamil called Veraliketa uh, Vikam. What it means is, it says, if you have a swelling on your pinky, Mm-hmm. it will be proportionate to the size of the pinky. It will not be proportionate to a thumb. It will not look like a swelling on a thumb. The swelling on a thumb will be much bigger. Right? So what that means is, if your salary is only that much, you have to dream only that much. You have to aspire that much. You live within your means. You stay out of unnecessary debt. You can't say, uh, my friends, they are, we all study together. My friends are all earning more. I am here. I am stuck in this. So I want to uh, you know, spend like they do. You cannot change your social station by spending. You can only change your social station by investing and not spending. So, uh, I mean, it's very hard to tell people not to aspire. Uh, you can't have a car. Maybe you can never have a, ever have a car. You can never ever have a um, maybe an iMac or something like that. Whatever you know, what, uh, maybe an, even an independent house. Uh, so all you can do is live within your means, whatever extra that you can spare, invest it. That's that's the most pragmatic that you can uh, get, but it's very hard. Uh, I can say two things, but two. One is. You are the foundation on which this country is built, teachers, right? You contribute to society like nobody else. One is, I'll tell you the example of Pattu, who is a teacher himself, who is financially independent, right? So perhaps try and follow these rules or try and follow this thought process and this philosophy. Um, and number two, learning is the number one thing that seems to be working in the media world today. Try and upskill or use your skills to let other people learn, right? Turn your skills into a course online. Turn your startup podcast like us, right? Not that we're making money from it. But yes, try and figure out other ways to use your skills to create more income. Listen to Let's Get Richard Part 2 and, and I'm sure the future will be bright. Can I just intercede there? Uh, sure. I think not all two school teachers are the same. Of course. Uh, I mean, not all teachers are the same. Excuse me. Some teachers... Uh, get paid way way more and unfortunately i am one of them so my example is more of an exception rather than the norm 
and uh, so you can't uh, look at it look at it from my point of view so my the way i look at things is very different but for a person who is teaching a school or uh, maybe a college which has got no research component and so on the salaries are very poor the work hours are extremely long so it is hard it is extremely hard and i'm 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 very sorry the only way you can get anything done is by aspiring less yeah or creating new income streams which is very yeah. possible right with yeah which is very tough but yes that's yeah. that's something to look up to all right on that note let's call it a close part two very special episode for the first time we experimented with the visual medium um and what a visual medium it was right a gold mine of information proof that rebalancing and de-risking makes sense it is proven with back tested data over 300 400 data set points but to thank you so much we'll see you on the next episode so much to look forward to please keep sending your question in viewers and listeners we are nothing without that like share and subscribe this video and we'll see you next week but to thank you bye bye You just heard Let's Get Rich with Pattu an Offspin original. Isn't it the coolest show you've heard in the Indian podcasting space? And even if it isn't, what's the point of getting rich alone, right? Share this show with those you care about and perhaps even with those you don't care about. But make sure you share this show with only those who you don't mind being richer than you. The music on this show was created by Pattu's biggest fan, Rajesh Ravi. and everyone on the offspin team had some part or the other to play on the show let me name them quickly harshdeen srani krishant das sandeep banerji arif chagla anand krishnan rajesh ravi and heer khan heer by the way is also to be blamed for giving pat to his gangster look which is how he looks on a daily basis um and me sadan your host let's get rich is available on all audio platforms wherever you consume your podcasts so spread the word and we'll see you next week You know we do this show only to help you guys, right? But if you're listening and you're that one person who has perhaps lost money and are holding it against Pattu or me for making you lose that money, then not only are you a mean person, but you also need to listen to this legal disclaimer. This podcast is for educational and entertainment purposes only and does not constitute any financial advice. Views expressed are not official positions of financial institutions or Pattu or mine for that matter. Although we strongly believe in them, listen to this disclaimer even more carefully. We recommend consulting a qualified professional before making decisions. We disclaim liability for inaccuracies or losses from using this information in our show. By listening you agree that the host, guests and producers are not only awesome people, but they are not responsible for your financial decisions or outcomes. This is Offspin. Oh.